can't believe that you haven't seen it love it so much you really gotta stream it let me tell you every line right now i can quote the whole thing since i was 12. maybe your mom told you no she said she Hey, 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 and welcome to another episode of Movies We Missed. I am your host, Brandon Greenhouse, alongside my lovely co-host, Jane Tawny Hammer. And we are getting ready to give you another one of those wonderful episodes where we break down a movie. Uh, we will be break down a movie, but it's usually laced with a lot of banter. And something tells me today's going to be no different. Before we get into the episode, I do want to let you know, if you want to follow us on the socials, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook, at Movies We Missed. Um, and you can always find us here, you know, throwing you out those weekly episodes. Uh, we keep it fresh. We keep it hot. We are slowly but surely moving towards 100 of these. So, um, mm-hmm. bully for you that I think you're here for episode, I want to say 90? Uh... Is this episode 90? 89. 89. 89. I think you're According to our list. 89. So so good for you. How fun. How fun. Uh, Jane, speaking of fun. Yeah. How are you? How are you doing today? You've got your beanie on. I see you're rocking an, another turtleneck. Last week you were rocking a, a different turtleneck. So. <laughs> I know. I'm feeling my turtlenecks recently. And I didn't realize that, you know, today is the day that I wear them. Um, and, you know, I feel good. I feel good. I actually... I thought about you a lot during this movie. <laughs> I mean, I it's definitely my kind you. of... This is definitely 100% my kind of film. This yeah, is which like, is why I'm, like, so surprised you haven't seen it. But I just, like, I had some thoughts, which I'm like, should I read the synopsis first and then give you what I was Let's thinking? do it. Let's read the thoughts okay. and let's get into okay, it. Because okay, this okay, movie okay, was okay. chock full, baby. Chock-a-block, as they say overseas. <laughs> and I was watching it. And it's been so long since I watched it, I forgot got so much of it that I was like, oh my god, this is just, everything is just a juicy delight. Okay. So, this is my synopsis of The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Um, This is, obviously this was my choice and I gave it to Brandon this week. So, but before we get started, I do want to mention that this whole freaking movie is a trigger warning in and of itself. Like, we don't gen- generally do trigger warnings, but, like, this is one that I feel like we should just get in front of. So I'm just going to list them off and give you all time to hop off if you need to. But we've got trigger warnings going for sexual assault, suicide, miscarriage, suggestions to child sexual abuse, outdated language when people are talking about developmental disabilities and finally murder. I'm going to pause and ask you why the fuck you're laughing right now. You know I'm you. What are you pretending like you don't get why it's funny that this movie has a million problematic things going on? I know, I know, I know. I just couldn't tell if you were laughing at the way I was saying it or if you like were just laughing at it in general. So, okay. Oh, shut up. You knew I, you thought I was laughing. You thought I was laughing at sexual assault? No, Grow no, up, no. Jane. I didn't say that. I said you were laughing at me. <laughs> 
the oh, way okay, I was yeah. saying it was like, oh no 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 I wasn't no you actually handled it okay. very beautifully I was just laughing at like the realization because I was thinking as you were naming the different things I was seeing I was doing a snapshot of each of the the things in my head and I was <laughs> thinking just, yeah that and yeah that, and then that yeah, yeah. they really yeah. were like they were going for it full force in this one they did not hold back or feel responsibility to anyone for anything so okay I'm going to start. It's 1992, and we open with Seattle's most idyllic nuclear family. We have Claire and Michael Bartell living in a gorgeous Victorian with their young daughter, Emma. Claire is in the second trimester of pregnancy, expecting a new bundle of joy to complete this picturesque family. Her trusted OBGYN has decided to retire, sending her to a new doctor midway through her pregnancy. Claire happily shows up to visit Dr. Mott, the man she will trust to guide her through the rest of her pregnancy and eventually deliver her new baby boy. But something is not right with Dr. Mott. From the moment she lies down for her unnecessary pelvic exam, she knows something bad is happening. Dr. Mott does the unthinkable and sexually assaults Claire right there in his office. Claire is shaken and disgusted and traumatized. When she tells Michael about it at home, he encourages her to report it to the authorities. Luckily, it went the right way, which many of these cases do not, and he was stripped of his medical license and under a criminal investigation while Claire and four other women came forward. Unfortunately, that fucking coward ended up shooting himself in the head instead of dealing with the consequences of his actions and ultimately escaped having to face the trauma he caused in these five women. Meanwhile, we find out not only was Dr. Mott married, but his wife was also pregnant. His death leaves her alone, devastated and confused. As if that weren't enough to deal with, within days of her husband's death, she suffers a miscarriage and has to undergo an emergency hysterectomy, ensuring she will never be able to have children of her own. Mrs. Mott is angry and she's looking for someone to blame for all this loss in her life. She sets her sights on Claire Bartel, the woman who reported her husband. Six months later, Claire has given birth to a healthy baby boy named Joey. And boy, oh boy, does she have her hands full. She needs some help. Claire wants to build her own greenhouse. And if she's going to do that, she needs a nanny. Mrs. Mott, hellbent on taking her revenge on Claire, has found her in. With a quick rebrand, she shows up for the live-in nanny interview as Peyton Flanders. Claire and Michael are overjoyed with her, and after a dinner where Peyton meets the kids, it's clear she's the one. She gets hired on the spot and moves into the guest suite in the Bartels basement. Peyton is quickly proving her worth around the estate with the kids, but some strange things start happening as soon as she shows up. Baby Joey doesn't seem hungry during his normal feeding times. Could it be because Peyton is waking up at strange hours to breastfeed him and drive a wedge between baby and mommy? Claire starts to feel strange distance between her and Michael, a relationship that's always had a solid foundation. Could it be due to Peyton planting evidence that aids Claire into thinking Michael is having an affair with their friend Marlene? Claire makes a shocking discovery that results in the firing of their family friend named Solomon, who has de- developmental disabilities and helps them with projects around the house. 
Could this be the work of Peyton's plotting and planning as well? How far will she go to take revenge against the woman who's ruined her life? Will she lie, cheat, manipulate, and possibly even kill to get what she wants? Find out in 1992's classic thriller, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Huza, that was a doozy. And uh, I think you covered a lot of it. Our girl Peyton is a busy bee once um <laughs> once Mrs Mrs. Mott decides to set her set her sights on on this family. Let's just say she's not making any applesauce. No. The name. <laughs> That's the last thing she's making. She's what she's making is trouble. And I did when I said before before I read the synopsis is that I thought of you a lot during this movie. <laughs> and the reason why I thought of you is because I was like if Brandon Brandon would be so good at coming up with ways to like fuck with Claire. Like, if you were Peyton, you'd be so good at coming up with ways to, like, mess with Claire's daily life and make her feel insane. And it's so lucky that you have a good moral compass because otherwise you would be an incredible Peyton Flanders. I... The thing is that, like, well, what helps what helps Peyton Flanders is the fact that Claire is, like, the most impressionable person ever. So, like, all it takes is, like, the, like, the mere totally. mentioning... Of mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. And like Claire is whole hog behind <laughs> the theory and like ready to risk it all in order to like to like call people out. She doesn't do a lot of like self-reflection and she also doesn't do a lot of like calm, like measured conversation. Like all it takes yes. is Peyton like sort of lightly mentioning something for her to be like, that's the way it is. And it's like <laughs> or not. Let's interrogate most, it a little bit. The most impressionable woman in any movie at any it, point. It is. Um, we're in Seattle, baby. They they decided to, you know, they decided we needed a little bit of that coast life in this one. Um, and it, it, this movie was released on January 10th, 1992. Mm. 30 years ago, almost. Um, mm. And uh, it was made on a budget of around 11.7 mil. And at the box mm. office, it made 140 million. So it's <gasps> a certified. It was a certified hit, and there was probably lots of married folk that were like, "Let's go check this one out. Let me see what's going on with the nanny here, so I can take notes <laughs> in case some shit pops off in my in my little enclave." Because uh, I want my bedroom community uh, good and sleepy. Let's just put it that good way. Good and sleepy. Well, it did. It, it it's so funny too because I think I think it was much more common back in the day for people to act. For, like, people who were not extremely wealthy to have nannies. Like, I feel like people who have nannies nowadays are, like, have access to a lot of wealth. And back in the day, it was maybe more of a thing that people could afford. And now it's just so astronomically, like, there's just such a difference between um, the haves and the have-nots now that maybe it's yeah it's in the, really in the 80s and 90s it's really gotten out of whack i think it started i think it really started in the in like the 80s and the 90s but i don't think it was yeah. like fully we were seeing the ramifications of some of those decisions just yet but it's like everything's so out of whack because you're right the fact that like this family that live in like a nice home that like mm-hmm. you know i'm sure it was probably around three hundred thousand, maybe two something 300 I, like something like that which is a lot of money but like in like especially like 30 years ago but like the fact that like these people like had this like you know, reasonable life. The husband's an engineer. The wife appears to be a homemaker. Yeah, I don't think she works. Which so they're I, on a single income and they can afford a nanny for her to just put her around in the backyard. 
I know. It was so funny to me. It was like, to me, that, that is like the, the wealthiest, the wealthiest thing ever to be like, I really want to build a greenhouse. So let's hire a nanny. And it's like, <laughs> I guess if you can justify it. <laughs> I mean, if you got, if you got the money, then I mean, yeah. do what you want. As my grandmother would say, if you like it, I love it. But like, 100%. I feel like, I feel like if, that seems like the job of maybe a baby monitor, potentially. <laughs> um... I think there's also, maybe a if, little more that goes into it, I'm sure, but... I mean, what's going, but also... What's going on with you? Uh, something stuck in my... I was, like, biting open a bag earlier, and I think a little bit of it got stuck on one of my attachments on my teeth, and it sort of fell off. What do you mean um, you were biting open a bag? There was a bag that had perforated... It was a bag of pretzel chips, and it had perforated... I knew it was uh, chips. Shut up. <laughs> it had perforated... <laughs> <laughs> it had perforated along the top, the area that you can tear off, but it didn't right. work. So okay. after I tore it off, I had to do a little bit of extra uh, work to really get, <laughs> get to get to the getting. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. I succeeded, just so everybody knows. Not flexing, but I mean, I did get my, my little <laughs> chip. Uh, but no, it's just like, it's funny because it's like, you're right. I mean, there may be more to it, but also it's like, just, I mean, you also can like bring the baby into the backyard in like a covered bassinet and like let it get a little bit of fresh air. I'm just saying that like, you're just in the backyard. You're not, and you don't, you don't live in like an estate. Like it's just a home. Like you're in the backyard and you have a baby. And I feel like there's probably some moms with babies listening right now who are thinking like, yeah, that's that's a bit much. Like, but if you have the money and you have the coin and you want like your child to have sort of like, you know, uninterrupted attention, like dedicated to your child while you work on the greenhouse in the backyard. The thing I think about it is like, it's, it's you building a greenhouse on your own timeline. So it's, it's not like you (laughs) have no pressing deadlines. (laughs) There's no like pressing deadline. So it's like, I'm sure personally she wants to get it done. Like that's definitely like a driving factor for her, but it's not like she's like under like (laughs) any specific time constraints so it's like it seems like maybe you could do you know do a couple hours today with the baby outside while it naps or i don't know I, yeah what's well, like again, oh this yeah i get need it to, we need to again reiterate for listeners we know we aren't parents <laughs> so um, this i would be, be you know what i should have i should have asked my mom because she's seen this yep. movie before and i think she'd have some some things to say about the <laughs> about the, the greenhouse getting like the the full the full attention um that you're like i can't i can't do both i can't i can't take care of the greenhouse and take care of my child and then the husband's like okay well i mean you know what to pick right it's like but the i i, get, I know you probably want me to say that baby but but these but, flowers they're not going to plant themselves but i've dedicated my life to this kind of botany this you know what plants do for me and you know what it means for me to have a greenhouse in the and also like the thing is as a person who loves plants like mm-hmm. the greenhouse itself is like built on the property it is a massive beautiful greenhouse i would kill that something like this absolutely and, but also like ugh i wouldn't cuz i wouldn't want to maintain it but i but I, also I, it's like like there's so many people who just like who have gardens and like do that (laughs) and like do that and and, like like, live their lives and do other things too but it's just like for her to just be like we need a we don't need and it's not even like her husband's like okay so like maybe like two or three times a week we'll have like somebody who comes in and like helps sort of like tidy up and like takes care of the baby while you like devote like a little bit of extra time to the greenhouse maybe from like noon to like three and she's like no Night. <laughs> no, we need 
a full-time live-in nanny when they I didn't understand that she was going to be living until they started bringing her downstairs to the basement to a room and I was like she's fucking living there like and I know it helps for like of course the juiciness the action of the the juiciness of the plot yeah but I was like I need her to like have more like going on (laughs) in order to justify this like expense like well they also could have like given her like another like like a part-time job even like pta or like president pta like something else to like to like bolster like their efforts to create like a world that would like need this right because it's just the greenhouse and i guess i guess it's i guess what we're grappling with right now trying to understand is that there is enough wealth in this family for her to not need this but to want it for a sense of freedom and that is something that i have trouble understanding because i don't have any of that kind of but also it is worth noting that her husband is the one who suggests this yeah her husband is the one who's like you want you i know you really want to work in the greenhouse and like she's like you know what you know what? Get out of get out of my head. Stop reading my mind. I have wanted nothing more than to tend to it. He's like, I've been seeing you pull like half days, and yeah. I know you really want to get some fulls in. So and, yeah, and you have this whole vision to be executed before you know. And before yeah. what? I don't know. And you've got you've got our daughter who is of you know school attending age, and so she's gone for most of the day. Which, but then that means that you're at home with the baby. And right. then you have to divide your attention between the, <laughs> the plants and your and child. Baby. And that must yeah. be so stressful. So, like, I, I get it. Our hands are tied. We need help. <laughs> we are bogged. Um, it's also funny, too, because there's never any point in the movie where they, like, later on, of course, when shit starts popping off, we see that she's frazzled. But, like, her life isn't a stressful one. It doesn't seem. No. It seems quite charming. I mean, it actually she, seems she, deals, great. she deals with her trials and tribulations, obviously. But, like, her husband is, like... 100% like committed and doting her child adores her and she's mm-hmm. got this beautiful healthy baby and she, it, she's Annabella Sciorra so she's lovely yeah. so like she's got a lot like a lot of pluses in her life you know if she can get this damn asthma under control then like oh the asthma really kept popping up at inconvenience well because they really wanted us to understand that this was going to be a plot point later I love they the telegraphing where they're like understand she has asthma. She has asthma. And when she's stressed out by something, that's when it takes a hold of her. And also, that also as Dave pointed out, the ADR was pretty intense with the asthma. With the <laughs> yeah, it work. was like, it sounded like someone else was in my living room standing behind me going, <laughs> It was a lot. It was a it was lot. So Obviously, fun. we're not making light of anyone who has asthma. No, 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 of course serious. not. But it, it felt we're just like, saying the ADR was bad for it. What it, it <laughs> yeah, it just felt to me like it felt like they well, they obviously put it in after and it felt like something that probably as an actor would have been helpful for her to get a chance to hear before right. to know like <laughs> this is how far we're going with it. Um, so like your, your energy has to match this, and especially in like the very first scene when it was introduced, which is her leaving fucking, well, John Delancey's just the actor, but her leaving John Delancey's like like medical office, Dr. Mm Mod, after she's been assaulted. The pure evil of Dr. Mod. Just like so gross. And also like, first of all, the scene gets like so sketchy so quickly because it's like, he like comes up with like a series of tasks to like, to like get the nurse who's in the room to leave the room. Mm -hmm. And also the look that the nurse gives him is one that sort of like telegraphs to us as audience members that like, 
this isn't the first time that this kind of stunt has been pulled because it's like mm-hmm. she like she like needs to make a quick phone call. A patient has called about like test results and he sort of tasks her with like informing them that like the results are all good. And like if they want to follow up, they can give him a call. And then he wants her to go by the lab and check on something. And then he wants her to put like some petri, some petri dishes, petri dishes into like, you know, uh, a freezer. And then he wants her to like splice some DNA and then he wants her to do like a hundred jumping jacks, and she's yeah. like, oh, "Okay." And he's like, like, "I need." Okay, I guess I guess you're good on this one. You don't need me around, and so she leaves. She just so she she's got her riddles to solve and her little treasure hunt to go on, and he's like primed for assault because he's like, "Now I'm Ugh. alone in this room," which is like that's the reason why I if, if I'm that's the reason why they have like the second person in the room, especially when you're dealing with like, and I don't know that you you are. I, how does I, that work, so, Jane? So I. I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know because I, first of all, let me just start this out by saying that never, 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 but I would never in my life would I ever go to a male OBGYN. Oh, wow. A, a male gyno. Never. Yeah. Absolutely never. I never have. I never will. I, I just like, there's nothing that like people and I have had this conversation with other people who get mm-hmm. pelvic exams and they have male doctors and they're like I love my male guy no mm-hmm. he's so great and I'm like that is awesome for you I love that you have that um but it's just not something you it, it, he could be the best doctor in the world and I'm just like I'm not doing that I'm not doing that do you know any people that feel like conversely to you that like they only want Male, like male gynos. No. Okay, I know from people who I know who need to get pelvic exams, they either prefer, most of them prefer to have like a, a female doctor, mm-hmm. and obviously, like, um, I think it goes without saying. I mean, cis men in general, like anybody who is like. Identified is not necessarily. I, I, honestly, I would just probably now that I'm saying probably just rather have a woman, no matter what. Um, you know, just because like there's such a discomfort, um, and this doesn't have anything to do with being queer or anything like that. It's just like I don't ever want to go to a male doctor for anything. Mm-hmm. But particularly a male um, gyno would be incredibly jarring to me. And I think it is for a lot of people. There's just too much of a risk, honestly. There's too much of a risk. Because this I'm... kind of thing is not abnormal. I mean, it's rare, but I have heard of it. And let me tell you who it's never been. A woman doctor <laughs> that has sexually assaulted patients so this is making me feel like maybe this is why you left my practice now well i left your practice for a number of reasons and that was the first one also when you walk into a room and your doctor can't stop giggling before you started and i'm talking giggling not just not just a laugh like a a a, a giggle like a like you would imagine like a a child to be doing and you want you're supposed to have a conversation about your health with them no that's not it for me so okay you as soon as you improve your bedside manner I, i'm still not coming back to be honest with you okay but, so there's nothing i can do 
No. It's, it seems like my guffaws were maybe misinterpreted, and it seems like some of the pointing and and me saying, ew, was maybe <laughs> not was exactly not like conducive Didn't to like an environment. So it's going on the chart. And, okay. uh, you know, I'm going to, all, it's all up from here. So I'm going to keep growing and I'm going to keep living and laughing and loving and just trying to figure out how I can be the best doc, <laughs> you know, for all my patients. <laughs> yeah. So and I would say I would start with you. And this is just like a friend giving you advice. Like I would start with with you just like going to medical school. I'm taking I'm willing to take some of the advice, but okay. some of it's not computing for me, um, well, you know. And maybe that's because I uh, I got some online certs uh, that that say that I'm a, I'm as good as a doc, you know. So I'm gonna just sort of like see how far I can ride these because medical school sounds like a lot of work, sounds like a lot of time mm-hmm. and a lot mm-hmm. of just learning words. And so I can't really commit to that right now because I'm just I'm super busy with the pod and everything. So in the future, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... Yeah, I mean, and and I'll do what I have to do, you know, and and if that means making calls to the medical board or the authorities or whatever, I'll, I'll do it. I, trust me, I will be on your tail <laughs> with this one. So, um, look, all I'm just gonna say to look is, out for. don't make me pull a Peyton Flanders on you and show up at your house in a blonde <laughs> in a blonde wig, ready to ready to ready to take care, ready to take care of kids, you know, or that Man- dog, Manny- whatever. <laughs> Nanny Jack while I build my greenhouse in the back. Oh my god. Just like I know, like God, you're just like it's like too much. The neighbors are just like this thing is huge. Like it's taking up your backyard can't can't like hold this greenhouse. This is made for like a country property. Like why is the greenhouse bigger than your home? It's like this is my hands are tied. My hands are I tied. Had I can't do it. I wanted I can't to take, do it. Can't take and care my of husband pooch. My husband suggested that, you know, I get out there and I get my hands dirty and I get my hands in the earth, you know? Exactly, exactly. And we do, we, we meet very early in the movie. So, so first of all, the, the whole, as Jane mentioned, the whole pelvic exam, it's all really, really, the whole scene's really, really gross as it's supposed to be. Uh, it's really uncomfortable. There's like a brief mm-hmm. breast exam, which is just like him groping her it's it's all a lot he like he has he begins the exam he takes off his gloves in a very lascivious manner like before beginning the assault not exam at all uh Mm -hmm. and she's horrified and it sort of sets the wheels in motion for this character really just being traumatized over the Mm -hmm. course of this movie to such a degree my goodness Mm -hmm. uh yeah so that's a lot of the movie, and um, early on in the movie, we we meet right after this. We meet the character uh, play, played by the legendary actor Ernie Hudson. Ernie um, Hudson, yeah, it was um, great to see him. It's a different this movie. kind of role for Ernie. Definitely, um, not sure. It... So Ernie Hudson plays Solomon, who is a person with developmental disabilities, and he the family through like a program it's called that like he the better with. day like better the day better day or better or way organization yeah. where he and he's gonna help them build their fence and um you know he they end up you know really bonding with him and he ends up bonding with their daughter and the family and he's there to build a fence but he does much more throughout um you know throughout the months while he's working on the house he's just helping with projects around um and i don't yeah. know if this character is okay or not i i have 
I have well, I have he, mixed feelings. He's like he's definitely like he falls into that sort of like trope of like the magical negro in a yeah. movie in a way. He's like the helper who exists on the periphery of like this white family and like his only mm-hmm. function in the movie is to like protect and like save them. Yes, um he doesn't have is, his own uh, life and he's mm-hmm. like one of those characters that's always sort of like overly grateful for like any sort of act of kindness that they're shown yeah Um, so true so it's like so it's so it's comp so it's like it falls into like that category and then it's also the category of like the of like the 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 black like the the black male character who likes who suffers from some sort of like developmental you know uh developmental challenges that like is like he, he sort of like he's wise beyond his years though somehow still and like he has a childlike quality to him and he's yeah. often like he's often like uh spends a lot of time with like small white children in in movies and like I, I guess there's a way to like see it as like a kind and a sweet thing but I mean when you look at like this lineage of like these types of characters if you look at like a Bubba Gump or you look at like right. a radio as played by Cuba Gooding Jr. who obviously mm-hmm. was based on a real person but you know, it's framed in a certain way, or you look at this character, you know, there's like a, there's like a, it's, there's a history in cinema of these kinds of mm. men. It's like, and it's like, if you're going to have a black male character in this world of whiteness, and then like, you have to like, find a way to like, anesthetize like, the, like them, and they use, he, and this is the means by which they do it sometimes. Yeah, it's, like, it's almost like, how can we make this person like, the the least like threatening yes. to this white family yeah, yeah, yeah. that you could ever imagine and like it, it, it really is like there's a discomfort in that because like there's also like moments where like he the baby is crying he goes to like pick up the baby and they're like no 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 you shouldn't handle the baby and I was like why shouldn't he handle the baby? He's being incredibly gentle with that baby. Like, what's the problem here? And just, like, he's only brought in to their fold when it serves them, like, building the fence or defending against, you know, the threat of Peyton and, you know, taking care of the kid. And then, oh, just what Peyton does him is, like, is really horrible. It's just, there's such a... And, like, unnecessary. So unnecessary, because he wasn't going to fucking say anything anyways, because he knew, despite the... the, the developmental challenges he clearly has he is you know a black man in this white world i'm sure he has the understanding that like if i get too involved you know the shit is gonna fucking hit the fan and come back on me too also what we're hinting at is like there's a scene in the movie which is like the second or third incident of it where they begin this pattern of um Peyton, basically, once she infiltrates his family and she moves into the home, she starts setting an alarm to go off at 3 a.m. so that she can get up, go upstairs, and then breastfeed the baby, unbeknownst to uh, the the parents, Michael and Claire. So she's Mm -hmm. doing it secretly. And one day, while uh, Solomon is uh, painting the house, he's climbing up the ladder, and as he approaches an upstairs window, he glares in, and he sees Peyton in broad daylight, by the way, just, like, breastfeeding this baby. And then he gets a stunned look on his face. He drops the paint. He shimmies down the ladder and then she confronts him and like 
calls him like really, really awful word. She um, drops a hard, she drops the hard R word a couple times, multiple times to yeah, like make her and point. And yeah, and, there were a couple and of like, hard ends that oh. were probably cut at the last minute. But she she <laughs> she drives home her point that she doesn't like people different from her. But it's also like funny to me because like I don't completely understand like. Like, here's the thing, first of all. Like, there's absolutely a world in which, like, whatever's happening is, like, gotten the okay from, like, from Claire. Like, there are wet nurses. Totally. That's totally a thing. 100%. So the act of her upstairs breastfeeding this child isn't in and of itself necessarily, like, anything that this person would probably be commenting on. I would imagine more than anything, like, when I first saw the shock on his face, I thought it was more like, oh, my God. I've looked in on this incredibly intimate moment. You know, this woman's breast was exposed. I just like, I, I took it more as that than like, oh my God, you are doing something that you do not have permission to do because how would he know? Like it, in and of itself, it's not that crazy. So it was just like funny right. to me that she like felt the need to like, you know, traipse downstairs and corner him and be like, you keep your mouth shut. Like Yeah, sort of like exposing herself in a way that she met, might not have had to. You know what I mean? I mean, because nobody knows what's going on. If I was if I was working, if I was doing like yard work on a person's home and I looked in the window and a person that I knew to be the nanny was breastfeeding a child, I may have a moment where I think, oh, that's peculiar. But I immediately would think it's also none of my damn business. So I would well, go back right. to finishing my task. I wouldn't be like confronting the parent because that sounds <coughs> like there could be something going on that like... I have no knowledge of, nor should I. There's no reason why I should be privy to that information as a person who is doing work on the parameter of your home. Like, right, exactly. It's, like It's complex, not... and like the mothering journey is what it is. The parenting journey is what it is. I just wouldn't, I would never feel emboldened to be like, just, I saw, I saw Peyton breast out. Your child was suckling at her teeth. And I can't imagine Solomon, even the character that he is, like, finding the words to say that no. to Claire or Michael. Like, I imagine him just being like, that was strange, and moving on. Like, like the only world it. in which I would open my mouth would be if I was just in the in the kitchen and the mom was like, you know what? This baby has just stopped. Like, I, he won't latch on. He hasn't been breastfeeding at all. Then I may be like, Ooh. At all? Because <laughs> that, that is not the story that I've been seeing. With anybody or just with you? <laughs> what do you mean with any? Of course me. Who else would it be? So okay. Just, we got some chat real quick. You might want to turn the kettle on because I'm about to spill something. <laughs> like, like, I love the kettle on. I can tell you I had to tell you in 10 seconds. <laughs> And then you need to, and then you need to deal with it. I know. <laughs> no, so I'm like, I make her wait though. She's like, right. can you just tell me? I'm like, once the tea is in the cup. Yeah, and I hope you have some elderflower honey. Exactly. I need a little. You have the hibiscus that you know I yeah. like. She's like, yeah. Well, you know, Peyton's upstairs with the baby, so we've got nothing. But okay, fuck it. I'll just tell you now. She's breastfeeding your child. Get up there. You want to know why your baby's not hungry? He's full of Peyton. You know, because while you're down here trying to force me to have tea with you. Your child, upstairs, right now, being breastfed. But that bitch! You are too interested in your greenhouse to know what's going on with your own baby. Exactly. I'll watch the kettle, because I was promised tea. 
but you need to go handle yours. Um, no, very like they. It's it's a very messy and it's very like convoluted and like also like the whole scene with Peyton showing up. Peyton is uh, played by the actress Rebecca De Mornay, who has by the way one of the funniest like Wikipedia. Her photo on Wikipedia is so odd to Let me. Let me take a look at it. It's like I'm sure it's a role that she did in some period drama, but it's oh, just like. Yeah. She's like sure. Um, <laughs> she's like in Why full is she, she's Victorian giving, like, garb. Little woman realness on her <laughs> picture. It's like yeah. why? Why? I didn't see her in the Gerwig in the Gerwig uh, one. Um, <laughs> and I didn't see her in the Renata Ryder one either. And I didn't see either one of those. So there we go. Um, Whoa! But, Sorry, what? I just saw that <laughs> Deborne dated actor Harry Dean Stanton in the early nineteen okay. eighties. Didn't she, think... didn't she date Tom Cruise as well? Uh, Tom, yeah. can you hear me? They, oh, <laughs> they met in 1981 on set of One from Cocktails. the Heart and, and oh. dated until DeMorne and Tom Cruise began an affair while filming Risky Business in Risky Business. Mm-hmm. That's the one. DeMorne and Cruise broke up in 1985. So, I, I mean, I my association with Rebecca DeMorne is being naked on the CTA having sex with Tom Cruise from Risky uh-huh. Business. Did you Have you seen Risky Business? No. Oh. I'm thinking of Ferris Bueller's Day Off is what I'm thinking of. Oh, very different movie. Well, forget what I said about that then. Are they both... Wanna... Are they, are they both... They're both getting pretty risky in those movies, though, right? Um, it's a risky movie. I, okay. I'm going to leave it at that, just in case we decide. You know what to other movie I've never seen? I've never seen what? Cocktails, either. I've never seen Cocktail, either. Ooh, okay. Yeah, all right. Um, good to know, good to know, absolutely. good to know. It all always comes up when we're recording, doesn't it? But it's but it's surprising, though, given the fact that you're such a deep stand for um, Scientology, that you didn't make it over to... <laughs> I thought y'all had to watch it. I do love watching documentaries about Scientology. Only, you know I lo- only with Leah Remini, though. <laughs> I watched the uh, HBO one too. Did she not pop up on that one? She does not. They did. She Ugh. didn't get a call for that one. But then she, they didn't want to pay her. They no, didn't want to pay her, girl. I actually think that was before she left Scientology, and then she left, and she was like, "Get the camera. I've got sixty hours of television." She <laughs> at said, least. "Get the camera. Get that lighting. You know." Which oh, get one. that camera. Get that lighting. Get my hair person. Get my she makeup said, person. Get my nail person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she said, "I want to be blown out with this light, <laughs> so I need it to be as bright as possible." Well, I you know, it. she called she called on Mariah, Mariah Carey's people from, uh, from Christmas, <laughs> Melody. Christmas Melody. <laughs> my, which, the by the way, my mom was just casually watching uh, Christmas Melody, and I told her mm-hmm. we did an episode of the podcast on it, and she thought that was really funny. And I pointed out the lighting in the scene, and she started laughing because she had not <laughs> she had not noticed the lighting and the fact that Mariah has a completely different lighting setup than every other character in the movie. And then she was like, "Oh my god, what is she doing?" I know it's so crazy. She's, she's she's protecting her image as far as she's concerned, but like Absolutely. it's unnecessary. It is, but I gotta um, love it. My brother-in-law texted me right before we started recording. He was like, "We're in the car. We're taking a road trip, catching up on your podcast. We're just about to listen to a Christmas melody." And I was like, "Perfect." <laughs> oh wait, today? Yeah, like literally. Oh, right, how ten fun! Minutes be- that makes me so- ten minutes before we started recording. So. Oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah, yeah. I love it. We love, we love it when you listen. We love it when you let us know. Um, this is all for you. I mean, 
I mean, we the, two narcissists start a podcast just for you. And let me tell you, there's nothing in it for us. We get zero from this. It's for audience only. And also, to be truthful, we do love hearing from you guys when you do listen. It's always a fun little nugget when we hear from people we know that listen. Because I think, like, the funny thing about this podcast is, like, generally, I don't think most of our close friends or family listen to this on a regular basis. Most of our listeners do not know who we are because they don't... and Because our friends and family have too much of us anyways they're like that's enough i don't need that so it's true but so if we i'm always a heart warmed when i hear that they are actually popping in listening and also by the way jane mentioned that we love hearing from you if we you know the people that we know but also people that we don't know we only don't know you because we've never heard from you so feel free to <gasps> oh reach God, out such a good and point. send us messages and then we will know each other yeah um, exactly we love strangers famously we'd love yeah. for you to um babysit our children while we build greenhouses let's do it baby i mean it's my last <laughs> name so i feel like i should have a big amazing greenhouse exactly exactly um, and also so so speaking of greenhouses we're we're back mm-hmm. with the queen of the greenhouse claire um mm-hmm. as all of this is sort of playing out we see basically she does the old school which you don't do this anymore maybe people do in small towns but she puts the newspaper ad in the paper and mm-hmm. then like the day after like mm-hmm. Peyton shows up on her on, on her on her street and unannounced uh, by the way she didn't make a call but we know why she can show up on her street because during a news broadcast while she's in the hospital recovering from the uh, unfortunate miscarriage that she suffers on the news they're basically they're talking about the trial that her husband you know of her the scandal around her husband and the fact that once claire came forward at the insistence of her husband michael other women came forward as a result and shared their experiences mm-hmm. and all of this and when all while all of this is happening she they the news like they they say her name her first and last name they say where she lives and then they show a full-on candid um shot by production of annabelle sciora in her in her claire get up they put it on the screen crazy and they're like this is what she looks like this is the person who came forward and accused uh the doctors it's just like what i'm like isn't that fucking illegal i think it is i don't think you can actually do that I mean, maybe maybe you used to be. I remember when my mom... So my mom used to be a bank manager in, like, the late 70s. And there were two times where the bank that she managed was robbed. And one of the times, they put my mom's name and where she lived in the paper. And she had to move. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I was like, could they, like, they could fucking do that? And she was like, yeah. And I had to move residences because, like, you know, the fucking robbers, like, bank robbers were, like, I assume still at large. And (laughs) they just, like, published my mom's full name and where she lives. Like, what the fuck? That's fucking crazy. It is wild. And it is crazy that that's even a thing. The other yeah. thing that I thought about from, from this and Dr. Mott is, uh, I remember there's like a story, because you all know that I like to watch my forensic shows. There was a story, it was a doctor, I can't remember where, but a doctor who had like assaulted a woman and she came forward 
And it was, this was a crazy story. She came forward and she was like, I was assaulted by this doctor. And he said he didn't do it. And it was like a smaller town. And her, she had a questionable reputation by whatever society standards were. So they all basically sided with this like reputable, respected doctor. Basically, Ugh, after she came forward. This is why it's so hard for women to come forward. But the other part of it is that she came forward. She said this happened. They did like, you know, DNA swabs on her. They, they took blood from him. It wasn't a match. And they were like, that was the other part of it. And they were like, the blood doesn't match. Like, something's, you know, this, so you're lying, basically. And I think another woman maybe came forward at some point and something similar. And it wasn't a match again. And oh then the God. third time, they realized that what the doctor had done is he had cut a, in his arm. And he had, placed a, he had placed a tube of blood from a patient that he had taken from the patient earlier in the day. He had placed this tube in his arm so that when they went to take the blood from him, they were getting the blood from this tube <gasps> that was placed inside of his arm. So oh, they weren't getting his blood. My God. And they saw, like, because he would only roll his sleeve up to a certain point. And so they saw, like, a little bit of an incision. So he had, like, performed this, like, surgery on himself <gasps> multiple times and put these tubes in his arm to avoid his actual blood what? being taken. A fucking psycho. And the person who took the blood said they noticed. They were like, the blood was a little bit like... I don't I don't know anything. I'm not, you know, my my degree, it's all it's all right now. It's in limbo. And if I'm gonna get it back or not, I don't know. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. right but you know get your degree back, you either get it or you don't. You don't get your degree taken away unless you've done something incredibly egregious. This isn't like a medical license, which again, you only get taken away if you do something egregious. But like the agree the degree you at least earn. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm in I'm in litigation and I'm not going to talk about what I'm in it for but I am going to say that like for the time being um my degree's on a shelf somewhere and I I don't have access to it but I'm going to get it back. Okay. Okay. Um okay. but I will say that the blood apparently according to the person who took the blood it was darker than it normally is when you're taking it directly from a person so they were like this blood looks like weird like the blood looked kind of old to them but they were like you know, but, but like, I just took it from the arm. Like, come on. Like, it's, you know, who would have thought? But, oh my skeezy God. doctors, man. Skeezy doctors. So, these fucking, these fucking disgusting men. And it mostly is men. I'm sorry. I hate to say it, but it's mostly men. I don't, well, I don't know if you hate to say it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you are, but you are correct. <laughs> I guess I don't hate to say it actually at all. It's very true. And I, I like, I actually like to make the point that it is mostly men because it's like you need to get yourself together you need to talk you need to figure this out i don't know why you can't stop being horrible just as a group and i need the good ones because i know hashtag not all men but i need the good ones to start having conversations with the bad ones and with the mediocre ones and talk about what is okay and what's not okay please are the mediocre ones the ones that are just like coasting? Yeah, the mediocre ones are the ones who see things, see shitty things that their male friends do and don't say anything or don't stop them. Is the mediocre ones are the ones who like see like a man just being a monster and they're just like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I wouldn't say mediocre is generous for those kind of people, but yeah, they aren't necessarily the ones perfor- doing the horrible things, but they're or they're watching the, the act of happen. violence and they're like, they're like, you made your point. <laughs> 
I am only laughing is that is an insane thing to say in that moment. Like, all right, all right. You, you said what you need to say. You said what you need to say. Let's go. Let's go. Um, I like how the media are just men who are concerned about getting caught up in it, basically. Right. Um, exactly. Oh, like my they, God. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, they reveal her name and everything on the news for no reason. And then this is what sort of, like, gives our, you know, Mrs. Mott the impetus to, like, infiltrate their lives because of the monstrous well, act she has by her someone husband. she can now direct her ire at. Someone's yes. life she wants to ruin because she sees, you know, it, again, it's like, why... Why isn't it's a it's a problem with the patriarchy? Why are you blaming the victim of this crime as opposed to the person who who committed the crime? Your fucking husband. Like she didn't ruin your life by saying something. She stopped a person in their tracks from hurting other people. Like but she's also she- heroic in this moment. I know you she- don't see it because you're the fucking wife of a monster, but whatever. But she's also got to, like, still got to live with, like, the fact that she was assaulted for the rest of her life. So it's like, exactly. she doesn't come out of this scot-free either. But it's, it's no. yeah, it's, she's just, she's angry. It, you know, obviously the husband dying, um, and that's compounded by then losing the baby, which she also blames on Claire and the stress of this entire thing. That all happening towards the beginning of the movie where she goes to meet with the board, it seems like, of some sort. Well- and they... Okay, so wait. Well, it's her she, lawyer is what it is, yeah. Yeah, it's her lawyers discussing, like, what she needs to do. She has to, like, get out of the house. and But she doesn't only lose her baby. She, for some reason that is not explained, has to have an emergency hysterectomy. Removing her, I think a hysterectomy is removing your uterus. Uterus, which means I think so. You can't carry a baby yourself so i mean i don't know why that happens and they don't explain it that's not like you know people miscarry without having that as a result so it's confusing but i think it was again just lay it on more that like you know shit she's is well not she's going feeling well yeah and she's feeling Mrs. very like alone at this yeah. moment and so she makes a decision that she makes and i it's also like we get the first moment that we get of like a little bit of what well, we already know but just by the virtue of what she's done and any mm-hmm. how she's ended up in these people's homes that like she's not well but like the moment that we get that gives us a little bit of a a, a period of who she is um is the moment when she's upstairs and she sort of comes to the house for the first time and she's meeting the family and then she sees Solomon for the first time and he's been outside doing mm. tasks and um, Claire brings him up to meet her and when he shakes her hand, he gets a drop of paint on the cuff of her white blouse and she gives him a look that lets it's, you know that these two are not going to be friends. She is so cunty in this moment. It's like, cool it, girl. Like, the top isn't that nice anyways and he didn't do it on purpose but you know she doesn't give a fuck no she doesn't give a fuck and she's got to replace it so she's probably like damn it i gotta get the talbots now before they close (laughs) it's also like it's uh i wonder why she doesn't feel like she has to convince this guy that she's a trustworthy character within the family you know she's black exactly (laughs) um and um that at this part. point, all she knows about him is that he's black at this point. And 100%. She doesn't even know that he has, like, developmental disabilities either. Anything like that. She's no, like, nor does well, she I'm care. Not... Yeah, she doesn't care about anything. She's just like, 
you're you're a little too urban for for my liking. Yeah, she's um, like, I'm gonna destroy you too. Everybody, she's like, everybody's getting this heat. Um, yep. And also, we get like her sort of like beginning to like sort of like make herself indispensable to the family. There's a moment mm-hmm. where like she's invited for dinner, and they're still sort of like waffling on whether or not they want to invite her into their home. Um, and there's a moment where Claire is reaching down to put the baby down, and her earring falls out of her ear onto the ground. And then, you know, Peyton sort of like latches onto this moment and she makes it seem like the baby was going to swallow the earring and she retrieves it in the moment right before he does to prove her usefulness to the family. And this is what sort of cinches it for them. And they decide to bring her into the home and they set her up in that, uh, their little dark basement and a bedroom. And (laughs) yeah, this does not look like a place I would want to live. It didn't, even though they were like, when they like bring her to like her little dank room, they're, they're like, isn't it? It's great. Right. It's like, like, it's so nice. And it's, like, this beautiful, like, breezy, like, colonial that gets a ton of light. And you're bringing me down here to, like, this fucking lair. Like, do you have a bedroom upstairs that maybe I could use? Like, yeah, we do. But my mom comes to visit a lot. Yeah, she comes, like, once or twice a year. We got to have it open for her. She comes, she comes for two, she's here for two weeks a year. And it's like, okay, well, I can move down here during those two weeks. And it's like... But if she knew, if she knew that another, like, body Mm -hmm. had been in her bed, especially a poor blonde Mm -hmm. woman, she'd be Mm -hmm. really upset. So we just want to keep that room sort of, like, tip-top and only open to, like, family members and people who make over a certain amount annually. Mm. You get it. You understand, don't you? I know you do. You have to. Anyways, I can't wait to trust you with my children after I said these horrible things to you. Exactly. I hope you enjoy your dank (laughs) box down here. Um... So they set her up in the dungeon, and this is like, and then we get like this really early look. There's a lot of breasts in this movie, by the way, way more than I would have expected. But yeah, um, way more than I remembered. Yeah, it's um, you know, there's a lot. Well, breastfeeding is a very central plot point to this movie because they're Absolutely. sort of presenting it as like the rep, like the thing that like determines like you know this motherhood and this connection and everything. Yeah. And and I do want. I mean, I've never had a child, but I know that breastfeeding is like a, for some mothers a really like special time with your kid. Uh, but you know, there are plenty of mothers who don't do that, and it doesn't mean that there is a wedge between you and your child. But that's certainly what <laughs> the the narrative that is. Uh, yeah, I know moms <laughs> that definitely like. Been. I tried a couple times and. That wasn't the, that wasn't the tea. Enjoy. Well, I mean, for some people, it's horrible. I have friends who yeah. really didn't enjoy breastfeeding. They're like, it's awful. I hate being tied to it. I only did it for you know, as long as I could last. And also, some babies just don't take to it. It's true. It's absolutely true. But yeah, so all of this is going on. She's moving into the house, and she's sort of like taking stock of what's going on. And like, she's she she's really good, partly because they write Claire so simply that like she's really good at just like <laughs> so getting true. into Claire's ear. And one of the first moments, which Dave and I both were like, "Oh, are they already these this kind of like close?" There's like a moment where like Claire is like in the. In, like, sitting at, like, her vanity, and she's, yes. like, she's got a... Well, first of all, Annabelle Sciorra's body is banging. Banging. And, and she... she By the way, on, Tara was, like... Tara was loving Annabelle in this movie, and she was, like, oh, yeah, she's super hot. I forgot she's really hot. And I was, like, enough! <laughs> she is, like, she's very beautiful. She is Annabelle's, hot, yeah. As is Rebecca De Mornay. They're both, like, They're stunning. both gorgeous, but she was... She was... De- Tara was definitely leaning Annabelle in this... Like, I, I mean, I get it. In this she's, in all moments. I get it, too. undeniably beautiful mm-hmm. and a really fabulous actress. 
mm-hmm. she there's a moment where she's putting on like her um her perfume and there's this red dress that her husband's bought her and it's laying on the edge of the bed and she's I love out. how she's like holding the dress up to her and she's talking to Rebecca De Mornay and the thing that she says to her, which for me is such a weirdly worded line. I don't know if you picked up the she goes, I always feel completely sexy and glamorous when I wear this dress. <laughs> and it was so such a weird, like a weird way to put it. Like I just felt like it was like has anybody said that out loud to anybody at any time ever? <laughs> I always feel completely sexy and glamorous when I wear this dress. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, re- it's like, it seems, if it was me and I was like talking to a girlfriend, I'd be like, oh, this is like my hot girl dress or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it just it felt is like, very it's, it's, it's also, it feels like something that you think in your head as you put oh, it yourself. And not necessarily like, I, I feel like a great total babe when I put this on. <laughs> exactly. While staring at like your nanny. Right. Who like, you're in your bra and like, you have a she's a silk robe on but it's like open and she's like in like lacy black bra and underwear and it's like okay i guess it was a very sexy shot she's in like she's in like a thong she's in like a thong and like thong underwear first of all those panties right they were like high like it was like i didn't notice that they were a thong oh i know because she was wearing the robe over it but i yeah but it was like it was extra hot because it was because it was like because there's a layer over it but you can only kind of see through it so it was like it was really a moment for 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 uh miss kiora and like she's you know and they want everybody to know that this is this is what a woman looks like right after she has a baby right after having a three-month-old baby and she's like she's like oh she's like my stupid abs <laughs> she and then there's a scene later in the movie. She's like, oh, "You just feel like unattractive after having a baby," and it's like, "Where? Where is the evidence, Annabelle?" Yeah. I, well, also, she's clearly wear able to wear clothes that like she. I mean, she she literally puts this red dress up that's like one of her sexiest like items. And then, and, and if I remember correctly, what it doesn't so Peyton says something that that makes her not want to wear the dress, right? Okay, so what happens is she's putting on her perfume oil and then she walks out of the room to like do whatever. And in the second that she's out of the room, Peyton then gets perfume oil on the dress. So there's an oil stain right on the front of the dress. So when she goes to put on the dress, she goes, oh, oh no, there's a stain on it. I didn't notice it. Oh, that's why she doesn't end up wearing the dress, because there's an oil stain on it. Well, the, here's the thing. Okay, so in the beginning of this movie, like, the yeah. things that Peyton are, Peyton's doing are really just, like, light impositions. 100%. And it's just, like, they don't actually change the course of, like... So I don't know what, like, the overall goal was. I will say that she, that she opts on putting... She doesn't put this dress on, and she opts on doing a little bit of light Mayambialicus Blossom cosplay instead. <laughs> The ugliest choice. It's like you don't have anything else that's like even kind of comparable. It's like she puts on this like this like flowy like nineties floral dress that is the exact opposite vibe of the sexy red dress. It's not the moment, and then she no. grabs like a sh- like a white shawl to wear with it. So she's now yeah. like in this potato sack. And she decides to wear that instead of, like, the sort of, like, more form-fitting, like, bodycon, like, red moment that she was gonna have earlier. And I don't know what the goal of Peyton doing this was, other than perturbing, like, like, making her perturbed and, like, a little bit, like... 
bluster? Well, I think I think she's maybe like trying to hit moments where like a she knows that Michael really likes the dress on her, so she doesn't want Michael. Like she's trying to do these small things that that don't make Michael feel like she's like sexy woman. So like when she goes downstairs in that floral dress and Michael's like, oh, what happened? I thought you were going to wear the the red dress. And she's like, um, is there something wrong with what I'm wearing? And so I feel like that's like Peyton's small way of just starting to drip in little crumbs kind of, yeah. of like a, a, of creating a wedge between Michael and Claire. Like she is he says something that sort of play on Claire's insecurity within her postpartum, you know, I, look. I think, I, I think you're right. And this is also the scene where we get the icon, the legend that is Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. I her... forgot she was in this movie. Wait, wait, did you say that again? I forgot she was in this movie. Yeah, I forgot she was in this movie. Yeah, Julianne Moore shows up and she's the spicy friend Marlene. And, like, they're all going out to... Her and her husband are going out on a double date with Michael and Claire. And so we get our first glimpse of her and we see that, like, Marlene's husband um, is instantly sort of taken with the beauty of uh, of Peyton. And um, they all sort of hit the town. And then we get, like, this weird scene with like the daughter Emma, who's like six or seven, she's like a she's like in the that dank dungeon bedroom that they've that they've sequestered Peyton to. <laughs> it's like why? It's like nobody's here. Let's just do this in the living room with light. Right? Why are you downstairs in the basement? Why are you punishing me and making me be in this room with you? Oh. Um. So like, it's like a weird conversation where she sort of like begins her her sort of like her moment of pouring, you know, her ideas into the ears of this young child. And, like, she sort of wants to, like, establish, like, uh, this sort of, like, secret. The the idea of secrets and the idea of, Yeah, they call it the secret club, which you should never, ever, ever ask a child to keep a secret from their parent. That's really, really problematic. Yeah. And, um... She does just that. She's like, oh, we have our secret club. And she tells um, Peyton that she's being bullied by some kid at school. But I do, before we move on to that, I do want to say we, I want to spend a couple of minutes on Julianne Moore and her fucking bangs in this scene. Did you notice? (laughs) They're like, it's like she has this slicked back ponytail and then she has this like very small tuft of bangs popping out on one side and it's not a look that I've seen anywhere throughout time so I'm really confused about what's happening it's like it doesn't feel particular to the 90s and also we talk about earlier in this episode how fashion is totally cyclical and like some of the hair stuff is coming back but I don't I don't know where this fits in and it is a look. And for the rest of the movie, she has her hair down and it looks really beautiful, but this was such a weird bang moment that I want you all to, like, Google or maybe we'll put it on our Instagram so that people well, can see it. It's, it's so actually weird. It's especially weird because later on in the movie, when she's wearing her hair down, she has, like, a full set of bangs. Yes! So it looks almost like she's clipped half of them. 
Like she's clipped half of them back. So she's she just sl- has she's like- not clipped. It's gelled. Like they're gelled back into her hair. <laughs> so she it's gelled half such of the a bang look. into her hair. So just over one of her eyes, she has like a chunk of bang. Um, <laughs> it's on one side. It's so fucking weird. And then throughout the rest of the movie, it doesn't happen. But it is just for you this know what night it out. Feels like it feels like she's trying to do almost like one of those like flapper style like curls, like that tuft of hair that's like over like one of the eyes. You know, it's sometimes like I feel like with like a Marcel wave and like a, like a one like tuft of hair on the front that's sort of shellacked on someone's forehead. It's like kind of like a vibe sometimes. It usually is done when a woman has very short and tightly coiffed hair yes. that sometimes in the 90s they would do like I feel like Lisa Stansfield had this moment in one of her music videos where like she had a really big like statement chunky gold earring and like really dramatic eyes and then like this one piece of hair that was just like over an eye and I feel like it's maybe like their version of like that but I also could be giving her more than I should be I don't I, I understand but I don't see it what I see is confusing to me. <laughs> yeah, you won't. You never support me. Um, no, and I won't. But, but I'm happy that I have that I have listeners out here who get to hear the vitriol. And like, oh, so it's course. not just me trying to explain something to them. They can be like, <laughs> yeah. You know what? You know what? Actually, someone said. I can't remember who it was. Someone said to me, "Brandon will not let you breathe on that podcast, will he?" <laughs> oh my god, the smear campaign. <laughs> I felt so vindicated. <laughs> Who said that? I can't even remember. Oh, it was God. like, I, I think uh, it was definitely one of our friends for sure, but I can't remember him. Oh, God, I'll track you down. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like she's going for like this kind of like moment that it doesn't quite live up to, but it's Julianne Moore, so, you know, we'll allow it. Um, yeah. But it's. But the, we it's love a, the character. She's this like high powered, no nonsense real estate woman, and that her. that is a through line throughout this movie, and it's great. And and I love her entrance with the bangs. She also drops some real truth. I always love these conversations that like people have in like movies like this, where they like where they're like getting they're like having conversations that give you a little bit of context to like the politics of the world that they live in. Mm-hmm. And like I love her moment where she's like. Well, a woman doesn't. A woman's still a failure. A woman's a failure if she doesn't make if she doesn't make fifty k a year and come home and give a great blowjob. And it's like she says, still have she says still have time for blowjobs and homemade lasagna, which is an incredible line. And Tara and I both quoted it multiple times after watching this. And movie. <laughs> I, I did want to mention that the screenplay for this movie was actually written by Amanda Silver, who went on to write like Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Jurassic World, the Mulan live action movie. And oh, more wow. re- most recently, she was one of the three screenplay writers on Avatar, The Way of Water. So Wow. Which our so, spouses yeah. went to go see each other see with each other without us. They did, they did. I didn't make it to that one. Um I but, did not make it to that one either, but you know, they had a good time. They did. And so yeah, I just wanted to make it clear that uh Silver's still working. <laughs> she's still cashing and this she's, check. She's she's writing good scripts. And I like said, this is a great script. It was. She said, Who gonna check me? Who gonna check me? But who's gonna take my spot at the top? <laughs> um, uh, she may have put it a little differently than that. Yeah. She may not be that spicy, but um, <laughs> she's getting that James Cameron money. She's getting she's that doing. JC money, that JC coin, and she's calling him out in his bullshit while they're making yep. the movies too. And she's saying, "No, we're not doing that." 
no. I wrote hand that rocks the motherfucking cradle, so I know. <laughs> and he said, I wrote Titanic. And she said, put them put em page by page, script by script. Put them up next to each other. Let's see, <laughs> see who got... Let's see which who, one holds up better. Let's see. No, let's see, James. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Which one of us is known as the Queen of Pathos? Because I think it's me. <laughs> and um, yeah, so absolutely. These are the real conversations. These are, you know, so Between I'm just, Amanda Silver and James Cameron, always. For sure. It's always drama in that room. We, it needs mm-hmm. its own, like, like it needs to get picked up by, um, what's that network? Zune? What's it called? What is Zune? I've never it's heard It's that of network Zune. that, God, it's not the name of it. I can't remember the name of it. It's a network that, like, Jocelyn Hernandez's show is on. Um, but, um... Who the hell is Jocelyn Hernandez? From Love and Hip Hop. My God. I can't do... Oh, God, this is too much. She's, like, a very famous, like, reality personality. And Hernandez, let me see if I recognize her. You will. Oh, I know who that is. <laughs> no idea what her name was i've seen her everywhere i but i don't i yeah i i don't watch love and hip-hop zeus Zeus network by the way is the name of the network and they do a lot Uh, of like really like tawdry reality television shows so i just thought it'd be nice she was on marriage boot camp i love that show i've I've never seen it but it sounds oh it's so bad i love it um like like spoiler alert it's probably not gonna last (laughs) um if you're on there uh is it dr drew (laughs) Um, no, it's, uh, I can't remember who it remember is. Remember when he I, was, like, the authority and then he just disappeared? Where everybody's well, just, like, enough? Is that what happened? He, I, the thing is, is that, like, he was supposed to be the authority and he would do, like, celebrity rehab and shit. And I was like, I just, like, don't know if, like, this is, like, I feel like you're not being responsible as a doctor. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, there was just a lot of things that I felt like he was more interested in being famous than helping people. But I don't know. Maybe maybe one can do both. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. Maybe you'll show us how it's done maybe one day. You just <laughs> mm. got to get the credential part right. You got the other the other part. Well, you're in medical school for the both of us, right? I mean, we'll see if they let me if they let me uh, write your name down next to mine on the on the <laughs> diploma when I get it back. Uh, no, take Maxies this time because I, I don't. I don't want the student. I don't. Want, I don't want the student loans associated with it. But I do. No, I'll shoulder that. I'll okay. shoulder that responsibility, and you'll just get to have like the title Perfect. and like all of the celebrations that come along with it. So you'll just Perfect. be there for like the pomp and circumstance, and yeah. I'll take the brunt of financial responsibility again Thank for our you. next venture, just like Thank I always you. do, even when they Thank don't you. go well, even when we get booted from Shark Tank. <laughs> Yeah, still in the hole for a lot of our inventions. Yeah, from those contact lenses, the ones that we wanted to make, that, like, mm-hmm. when you cried, they changed colors. It turns mm-hmm. out that, like, a part of why See, they did that was because they, we had to use a, we'd use a light, light, light application of bleach um, on them. Yeah, so that, but we also, it was in the pursuit of something good. We wanted to answer the question, how can one get more attention when they cry? And we came up with a solution that may have blinded some people, but it also may have gotten people a lot more attention. And I think that means something. We put something in the world for people that, yes, was it harmful? Almost always. But did it get more people to have conversations with each other? Absolutely. The conversations were mostly about about suing us. Yeah. But again, people were talking. And when it worked, 
um, which I'm told it did one time, when it worked, when they changed color and the person mm-hmm. didn't lose their sight. <laughs> entirely, I mean, entirely. Fireworks. I mean, it really is. Yeah. It's a it's a firework moment. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna we're still we're gonna talk to some of the people over I, at. Uh, I'm not gonna apologize for any of that. I'm not, and I'm gonna see if I can get craft to really back us up as we mm-hmm. um as we try and take this whole thing to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um. And so yeah, I stand by what we did. Um, Me too. And also, I well also well one thing I do want to mention really quickly. When I was at home, I did get this. I did have a sweet tooth, and I there was one night in particular where I really wanted like. I normally crave chocolate when I'm like when I want like something like sweet like a dessert, but I had this mm. craving for like childhood sweet. I think it was just being in my childhood home. I was feeling nostalgia, and then the next day I went to the grocery store and I shopped like a ten year old, um, and I bought <laughs> I bought Haribo gummy bears. Mm. The sour I bought the sour ones. They make these sour ones. I bought oh, those are nerds. Good. I bought fruit roll ups. Um, I bought Gushers. Um, Yum. But then I got home and it was all too much and I didn't eat any of it. Of um, course. Well, so cause my, you can, oh, because you'll get sick. But if you have like one bite of each, then you're good. But but I just was like, I got home and I was like, what are you doing? Sit down somewhere. Um, but <laughs> but temporarily, the A1C, got that A1C kicked in my head and I was like, explain this one to the duck. So um, I left them untouched. And that was what I like to call a win. Um, mm. so yeah, so we also, we get, we get like a moment where like Rebecca earns the trust of Emma because after she finds out about her bully and also Emma reveals to her because when she tells her, first of all, Peyton gets very heated. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, wait, what? And she's like, did you tell your mother? And we find out that Claire's not coming through. She's too busy with that greenhouse because exactly. Emma says, oh, I did tell her. And mom was the motherfucking word. And, <laughs> and she didn't do and and that bully's still bullying and the bully's and, still bullying and yeah. it's not he hasn't taken care of it for just so we're clear i misheard the line i thought she said that one of her teachers was bullying her and it was like, <laughs> a grown man bullying this child at school that's a larger problem and so i thought that when i thought Peyton was gonna kill the teacher and uh it turned out to be a child uh but mm-hmm. but he did see those hands because Peyton she, showed up on school property <laughs> And, and I kind of was like, this. I, I was like, all right. There's only some lessons have to be learned, how they have to be learned. Okay? <laughs> exactly. Peyton, I was like, look, if you're going to be a fucking bully, you're going to get your ass kicked. I think this child's name is Roth, if I remember correctly. Yes, Roth. Yeah, which is, and, a, which is why he's angry. Um, yes. But she, she like, did shake the shit out of him. What is that fucking name? It's like Moth or. A mispronunciation of Ross. It's just or a last name, name, but it just was a weird choice. I come from the South, where we we love giving it a first name as a last name. We love the last name as a first name. So it (laughs) so it probably is some rich ass name. But she but she yeah she grabs him. She shakes the shit out of him, and she gets that arm twisted behind his back until he agrees to leave Emma the fuck alone. So it's like Mm -hmm. all well it ends well really as far as I'm concerned. Nobody saw it. A couple of the kids Mm -hmm. saw it, and I think some lessons were learned that day. The kind of lessons that can only be learned when you throw hands. And um, <laughs> she she slipped out of there before he saw it. She went over and she mm-hmm. saw Emma at the playground on the swings. And she said, "He, I, the definition of fuck around and find out was just implemented. And if you have any other issues, you holler at the nanny. And I'm not talking yep. to Dresher. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be down in my dungeon trying mm-hmm. to plotting to break up your parents' marriage and figuring out when I can breastfeed your brother again. So you just let me know when you get home. I got these tickle bitties ready, apparently. Um so she's also walking around that house in a see-through nighty at all, oh, all hours of the night with those 
titties out. The titties like, are and the, the, the titties. <laughs> the titties are tittying. Okay, they're sitting. They, and she is. They are sitting at a great angle. They are. Sh- they look fantastic. Her and, and Shioria were having a titty off in this one. They both were they, like, <laughs> "You need me to pull mine out again?" She's not the only one. She's not the only hot girl on set. <laughs> Mine are looking correct as well, and I'm, I'm ready to. Anytime it needs to happen. <laughs> I just saw something about a sheer nightgown, and I put it on. You just wanted her, and, her, and hers, because we can both do it. We'll be motherfucking bosom buddies in here. Um, it's like it's really going down in this movie in a way that you wouldn't expect. But yeah, hey, I was but, here for it. But I feel like the '90s were like yes. uh, the '80s and '90s were all about like yes. how much how much boob can we get in this movie? Yes. It, before Absolutely. we start to question the sanity of the director. And it doesn't and it doesn't matter anyway because it's yeah. like cuz it's like yeah, like so what? Like who cares? But it's always just like when you watch those movies from the 80s and 90s it is always like go the fuck off sis. Like Yeah, it's like it didn't need to happen but it's ha- I'm not mad about it happening, but it's happening. Everybody you know I mean? everybody's looking looking good and everybody's got them out and it doesn't matter if they're it's also the thing about the eight, the thing about the 90s in particular that is always so funny is that the 90s is such an interesting time period because it is like this juxtaposition between like titties out and like everybody in potato sacks like ill-fitting like misshaped <laughs> so clothes true. so it's like there's no in between and also like the girls that like it was so funny I was looking through photos when I was at home in Texas over this holiday break and there were so many photos of like my mom and my aunt and like all of these women in my extended family because I come from a big family and there were so many photos of all these women in like their 20s with like coke bottle glasses on and like oversized like sweaters and like riding like like riding tights and like it was just like these outfits were not it as far as I was concerned (laughs) and I was like why do y'all all look like nerds and my mom was like, what do you mean? And it was like, everybody's wearing glasses that are like 15 times too big for their faces. Everybody's got their hair in like these curls and like is rocking like a big ass sweater that goes down to their knees. What's going on? This was I the mean, look. And y'all were pulling the dudes. That was the look though. That and was they, the oh, look. Oh, clearly. And they, they, and they, my mom was like, this was it back then, baby. She was like, <laughs> she was like, there's like a photo of like all of these girls like out at the club with these massive glasses on and it's just like, and these massive bangs and it's just like, yeah. y'all were the ones? <laughs> Go off. Go off. But I did, I did love that that was what was happening as far as like mm-hmm. some of like, it was probably also like, like the it was probably that idea of the girl next door being blown up though too like absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. soft colors it was the same thing with that you know like the the uh, sunflower that the sunflower the sundresses that were like sort of oversized at times and misshapen and like mm-hmm. but it was like it was the vibe and i mean now it's coming back and we're seeing all of the, say, the like, Zers in these massive jeans that are ill fitting that everybody's here for 100% and these huge sweatshirts and no but everybody is like just which like I, I'm like kind of into right now too I've got myself some big sweatshirts and obviously I'm wearing a lot of turtlenecks and you know it's just it, it subconsciously just happens to you you, you do know? a lot you do something interesting with your turtlenecks that I'm not that from I've not seen I feel like you wear your turtlenecks you don't flip them you like no nope. you wear your turtleneck is it flipped right now no, no, it's all the way to the top. You wear yours all the way to the top. I've never seen I anybody let it, do that I, before. I let it like slouch a little at my neck, but I don't flip it. I don't do the. I don't do this. that's, and that's the only way I've ever worn mine. But I probably maybe like, I'm. I probably look like you know. No, the that's probably. That I, I just like. From. I don't like that for me. So that's not I your. Let, that's not your look. That's not my look. No, 
Mm-mm. Okay, I'm gonna make sure we can have a little turtle neck, a little neck off the next time we see each other. I would um, love to have a sounds, neck off. That sounds it so sounds sexual, disgusting. but I don't know what it would be. It's oh, I like, think it would oh, be us. Ugh. I think necking is making out, isn't it? Yeah, but it's like they had a neck off though. It's like yeah, so it's like a competition. Just like like neck, 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 like rubbing oh. necks against each other, just slamming, slamming necks against each other. If you're speaking about the neck off, let's talk about the way Peyton has so she's she's first done we've talked about some of the things she's done she beat up Roth the next thing she tries to do is the hold on I'm sorry I do want to get to that but really quickly what I do want to talk about just briefly because it happens right after the last thing was I want to discuss the fact that Peyton takes the baby to the park she takes the baby to the park and I think this is a moment that they want us to believe is where the wheels actually start turning to sort of like want to take over uh, okay because it seems which is weird because i thought this was the whole point but then it is it seems like the way in which they're like presenting it it seems like maybe the point initially was just like yes. i'm going to sort of like infiltrate these people's lives or i'm going to like go there and hurt the baby or something like and then she sort of decides once she meets these people like i don't want to cause harm to them i want to supplant claire in their lives and i want yes. to I, I want to infiltrate this world. And it's the moment when she's in the park with a woman and she's mm-hmm. walking the baby and the woman looks at her and says, oh, the, oh, he has your eyes. And then we see this sort right. of switch go off and she's the like, wheels are the wheels she are turning. She decides, okay, this is going to be a single white female moment. I'm We're doing the SWF. The SWF, I'm taking over. Give me keys. I'm taking over Claire's position. Exactly. And so, Jane, you were going to lead us through um, some of the the hits. So, well, so the things that she does in order to make Claire look bad is Michael stays up all night trying to work on this work proposal or whatever. And Claire's like, he's like, oh, I've got to bring it to Federal Express. And Claire's like, oh, don't worry, honey. I don't have a job. I'll do that today for you so that you can focus on your job and I can focus on the greenhouse and then I'll go ahead and... um, you know, um, do your errand to Federal Express, get this overnight to wherever it needs to go. I didn't like understand the significance of it, if it was for his work or if he was applying for something particular. But it, it was, was some kind sort of, of unclear. It was some sort of proposal. And <laughs> there's so Claire volunteers at this other like massive greenhouse and she takes um, baby Joey and Peyton to this massive greenhouse and she's talking to Peyton about how she loves volunteering here. And Peyton spots the proposal in Claire's purse. And so she, like, real swiftly takes the proposal. And then she has this moment where she goes to the bathroom. And she's in a stall. And she starts ripping up the proposal like it's goddamn confetti. And at first I was like, oh, she's going to go ahead and put this down the toilet to get rid of all the evidence. But she doesn't do that. She fucking get in a rage, <laughs> rips up this proposal and like sprinkles it all over the floor of the bathroom stall. And then she picks up the plunger and starts like beating up the bathroom stall with this plunger, and, like freaking the fuck out. And you're left kind of confused because it's like, okay, obviously she had to get some angry energy out, but like she hasn't like 
she didn't destroy anything besides the proposal and she just leaves the bits and pieces of it all over the floor so i was like oh like someone is gonna discover the bits of pieces of the proposal on the floor and like be like oh this you know like start to suspect that you know she that peyton's trying to sabotage claire but that doesn't happen at all no she like she has a full fit in the bathroom and we don't even know what she's triggered by but like no, it, 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 it wasn't it seem that she's just angry just just at life just at the yeah. situation she's created basically and yep. so she's in the bathroom and she's in she's in a cage of rage which is a stall um and we've all been in a stall that we wanted to get out of and we couldn't but it's usually for different reasons um yep. she's in this stall and she's and there's a plunger there which is never there when you need it and nope. um i've heard because i don't ever need one um, <laughs> no, no no me me neither we don't poo but we've heard you guys do oh we've heard that some of our listeners poo um yeah. but like yeah she's like going to town with this plunger <laughs> beating up the walls of this bathroom it's too much and then she just walks out and leaves it there and then the next scene is claire at federal express looking for this letter and not able to find it in the store and like also one of the weird things that i just want to note in this scene yeah. so we have so we have Peyton in the car with baby joey and Claire is in the Federal Express, and I don't know why this was as funny as it was to me, <laughs> but Claire's in the Federal Express, and then she starts walking out of this, she walks out of the Federal Express, we see that, like, she can't find the envelope, so she's gotta go back to the car, she's actually starting to get worked up, and we see that, like, her asthma is starting to, like, mm. um, her, her asthma is starting to present itself, basically, like, her condition is, um, is starting to sort of, um, sort of flare up basically like in worsen as she's going to the car and then we get this shot of like a Peyton in the backseat with a baby and for some reason the baby is like pantless and diaperless and the baby's wearing like a little like the baby's wearing like a onesie but like its booty is exposed and I don't know why it was this funny to me it just just felt so unnecessary it's like why is the baby bare ass like this is like a serious scene and we were just having joke we were just having a joke about the director just being like yeah yeah we 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 can't see the baby's butt <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay, like, we'll undo the onesie and, like, it'll just be a diaper. He's like, oh, the diaper is, like, really getting away. We need butt shot in this. It was just so random and, like, so weird. And it didn't advance anything. It's like, do we literally need nudity in every scene in this movie, though? We do. Because we the do. director's like, well, Rebecca, are you going to pull your breasts, your breasts out for this scene? It's like, well, we're in a car in a Seattle yeah. street. So, Seems- no. It's like, <laughs> the director's literally just like, I'm getting something. Um, <laughs> that is gonna be that baby's butt. <laughs> it's just so weird. It was like, like I don't know. It was just odd. But then also, it, like, totally. so all of this is so all of this is happening, and we get like the best thing that like the thing that Peyton is really good at is like accelerating a situation, and then like <laughs> completely like taking her feet off the gas and just yep. being like, oh my god, what's going on, sis? Um, <laughs> she's so she's really good at being like oh, what happened You're but it's like, always but it's a lot of these initially it's a lot of these little inconveniences because like yeah. to me I thought what was going to happen was she was going to destroy it and then forget about it and then like mm-hmm. something he was going to get a letter in the mail or something but she finds out she sort of explains to her husband what happened and he is annoyed and frustrated because whatever this deadline was he, he now has to wait basically another year to resubmit to see right. if it's going to be accepted. So Well, I also was like, she said that she woke up at 4.30 in the morning to type it for him. Claire did. Yeah. And I was like, why didn't you just print out another fucking copy? Well, that's what I couldn't figure out. I was like, we can't print off another copy and just do like a, re- like a really expensive like delivery the next day. But Yeah, like an overnight thing. Apparently, apparently no. But also it doesn't, once again, this incident 
in and of itself does not ruin their marriage per Peyton's plan. Yeah, he's like, I, it's fine, I, it's okay. He's frustrated, like, but he understands yeah. that a mistake has happened and he moves on. So, like, that's it. And then what was the, was there another one that you were going to... Well, and then Peyton goes on and tries to plant the seed that um, the husband, Michael, is having an affair with Marlene, the Julianne yes. Moore character. And so... When she finds she out finds from the out little girl... From the kid, yes, yes, she finds out from the little girl from Emma that Marlene and Michael used to date back in the day, like they were high school sweethearts, and that's how we know how they know each other. And it's Peyton and Claire in the kitchen, and they're talking about Michael and how, you know, she just comes up like, oh, I guess things are still pretty spicy with you guys. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, we, you know, we keep, which I keep interesting, whatever. And she says something, and Peyton says something like, well, men never lose their flame for their first love, knowing very well that Claire isn't uh, Michael's first love. And so Claire has to be like, well, actually, I'm not his first love. And she's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know, which is bullshit. And then um, Claire goes, you'll never guess who pay- who Michael's first love is. And she goes, oh, is it Marlene? Like, playing on this insecurity that, like, just trying to make her feel insecurity, insecure being like, oh, I spotted something between those two. And so that is enough to plant this seed in Claire's mind, which then she goes to Michael's office and is like, y'all should plan a surprise birthday party for Claire. And you should do it with Marlene because like, she's really good at planning parties or whatever. And so Michael lies about his whereabouts because he's meeting up with Marlene planning the party. And um, she knows that he was with Marlene because he smells like cigarettes and he only smokes cigarettes with Marlene. And she knows he's not at the lab. She called the lab and the lab said he's not there. So she's got this in her head that they're having an affair. And, and it actually is really masterful the way that she does this. It's an it's an impressive feat, which made me think like this would be something that Brandon is good at. It's oh so horrible. <laughs> no, so but horrible. I mean, like you find creative ways to weave a story is really compliment here. Is like no, no, it's, yeah, it's unexpected for like you know she could have done you know lipstick on the collar or whatever which is like way more obvious or something but she weaved this together in a way that really takes the like you could never really point the finger at her you know what i mean if you didn't have each piece of the information which i think is if you didn't sit down and like map out the fact that she came up with the idea to to do the party she presented it to michael at work away from claire and Uh she also convinced michael that it would be best for marlene to assist him in planning the party and not her to create an environment where the two of them are going to be together and then she also poured the pestilence in claire's ear by convincing her that michael was potentially engaging in some sort of like secretive relationship with marlene so that, because and, he's never gotten over his first love, or and whatever, she suggests she said she like suggests lightly that like Claire check in with Mar- with uh, Michael at work so that Claire can call work and discover that he's not where he said he was. So it's exactly. like it's a bunch of moving parts, and 
it gives us like one of the most cringeworthy scenes in the movie, which is when Claire is dropping off. She smells the cigarette. She's dropping off Michael's blazer at the cleaners. First of all, the cleaner, the, the gentleman who works at the cleaners is just stirring the pot as well. Because 100%. He's like, I didn't know your husband smoked cigarettes. This coat smells like cigarettes. He was a good dignified man as far as I was concerned. And she's like, oh, no, no, he is. Like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, he's smoking for sure. And then he pulls a like oh, what appears to be. Uh, uh, like I don't know, a woman's it's, lighter. It's, it's like a Marlene's. Gold. It's Marlene's lighter, which we see earlier. Um, Peyton glance at in Marlene's purse when she comes by the house to drop something off. Oh, so yeah. she's stolen this gold lighter and hidden it in Michael's jacket. I saw that scene, and there was a, there was a pill bottle in it, and I thought something happened with those pills. I so did that was too. what I was noting. So she that was when she stole the lighter, and she so she yeah. puts the lighter in there. So then Claire, you know, and you would think that maybe it's like okay, I need to have a conversation with Michael just to see if I can get to the bottom of this. But no, Claire comes in the house and she's piping hot, and she's Michael crying. walks. She's crying. She's crying. She's crying. She's crying. Michael walks in the kitchen of their home. This is like midday, by the way. Yep. Michael walks in the kitchen at their home, and she just sort of lays into him, which is really uncharacteristic of her, and she's just like, you bet fucking Claire oh you've been fucking Marlene and he's like oh my god no I haven't also like there's a house full of people like and she peeks around the corner and it's the surprise party that like was supposed to be happening for her today which by the way is happening at like noon for some reason yeah it's a very weird time this isn't like an evening it's like a midday party it's a midday on like a Tuesday (laughs) and also it's worth noting that in a best case scenario Claire would have arrived home from a day of running errands and then had a party thrust upon her uh-huh. that she would have had to enter where all of her friends are dressed to the nines. I and she the is, same thing! She's in like a pair of like uh, like her flannel and like a Henley and a pair of like ill-fitting jeans and she's right. not gotta go like out there and like face everybody with like dirt all over her face <laughs> and like a booger hanging out of her nose and it's like was that the plan? If this had gone exactly, then it's like, he's like, I know what I'm going to do. Okay, so Claire's going to be out with the kids all day. And then she's going to stop by, she's going to run errands, stop by the cleaners, stop by the grocery store. Be um, exhausted. Wash the car. With the kids and, and doing sh- all the errands. Change the antifreeze in the car as well as the wiper <laughs> fluid. And then she's going to come in the house and then I'm going to go up behind her and I'm going to push her into the room with everybody in it dressed amazingly. And we're going to take pictures as soon as she comes in the room. It's just like, it is such a, it's a horrible scenario regardless. That feels like a detail that maybe like Peyton Peyton threw into, like, you should do it. Claire mentioned to me that she hates nighttime and she hates like, (laughs) like nighttime is just triggering for her. So you should throw the party at 10 a.m. Because, like, yep. it would be, like, such a gag and, like, such a surprise for you to throw. <laughs> you should go to the party as soon as Claire wakes up. She should come downstairs in her mm-hmm. nightgown with the cold still still in her eye. And before she's had coffee, <laughs> you should have – she should walk in the party. And it should be yep. full of people that she hates. And <laughs> it would be such and- a cool take on a, on a surprise party. It would be amazing. She would feel never better. And by the way, we're all fucking clued into how she doesn't necessarily feel great about herself since giving birth. So let's make her look like absolute fucking shit. And Michael, you, it'd be really funny if you had a knife and you just stabbed her as soon as she hit the, the landing on the stairs. <laughs> like she wouldn't see it coming. Happy it's a birthday! 
<laughs> so that's happening. And then the other thing that she does, which is art, which is, I don't say the most, but it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's the probably the most lascivious of all of them, is that she plants a pair of like the little girl Emma's underwear in oh like the God. tool shed in Solomon's belonging. Solomon, earlier in the movie, having seen her breastfeeding the baby and then being confronted by her, where she said, don't fuck with me. Um, and she also and says, she, she smacks him in the face, by and the she way. slaps him across the face. And then, <laughs> when that like, happened, by the way, when that happened, Tara turns and she goes, "Great movie, Jane." <laughs> I was like, I didn't remember about this. <laughs> she, Tara was like, "Uh, she's like, I, now I know my wife's what my wife's into." And Her so, <laughs> and then so yeah, so then she and then she like creates a situation where Claire has to go to the toolbox to pull something out, and she discovers. Emma's like panties in the toolbox and then she attacks Solomon you know out of anger and she pulls her daughter in the house and then this is when Solomon is now moved out of the home and like trust has been broken and he's no longer a threat to her plan as well yeah exactly and and this uh, that that happens a few scenes before the birthday party scene and then the birthday party scene is like she screams, you're fucking Marlene. And Marlene, the whole party hears it. Marlene hears it. And she just like looks at her and like is super confused and angry and like turns and like walks away. But it then starts to put Marlene on her journey a little bit of trying to figure out what's going on. And Marlene, as you know, is a high powered real estate agent in the Seattle area and she's selling houses left and right and she's got her own office and she is a business bitch and she's sitting down at her desk doing her business and her assistant hands her a couple of photocopies of um, properties that are up for sale and she goes oh my god Dr. Mott's house is still for sale that's crazy Dr. Mott is obviously the horrible, terrible doctor who sexually assaulted Claire in the beginning. And she's looking at this house and she's looking at photocopied pictures of the, of the house. And she takes her magnifying glass and she looks and in each like porch outside porch area, there hangs wind chimes. And now earlier in the movie, the first thing that Peyton did when she got to the house is she gifted Claire and Michael some wind chimes and the wind chimes are hanging outside of their house and at one point uh, Marlene comes over and she goes oh what is that awful sound and they look up and she's referring to the wind chimes which made me really laugh because I was like okay like I understand that like you may not be a fan of like the sound of wind chimes but it's not like an annoying sound you know what i mean it's not like a fire alarm going off or like you know a buzzer that won't stop buzzing it's just like ambient music in the background but obviously they had to make sure that she noticed it so clearly marlene is not a fan of the wind chime sound so several things Okay, so one, first of all, the thing I didn't mention earlier is that when Peyton does arrive at this home, it's the thing that is like that a standard movie trope, which is a person who's going to be staying for an extended period of time arriving at like a location with a single suitcase. And <laughs> I don't even take a single suitcase when I'm going out down for a weekend. So mm-hmm. like the fact that like she shows up with a bag with a present in it that is the wind chime and then she has like a standard old school style like suitcase in her other hand and I'm just thinking there's maybe like two pairs of pants and like a couple bras and panties and maybe one or two blouses in there but like (laughs) that's it where are your other shoes like you don't have tennies 
Like, yeah, the bag is big enough for my toiletries only. That is it. And so that's <laughs> always my thought with movies whenever anybody's traveling anywhere. And it's always mm-hmm. like, I, and it's the old school suitcase that was always in things. And it's like, I would love for that to be my life where, where yeah. that suitcase took care of me from like, from me moving into a new location. 100%. Um, but also I agree with you because I did laugh when she said, what is that awful noise? Because in addition to it not being a horrible noise, it's also like, it is just standard thing that exists and you specialize in like selling homes so you know better than anyone that some homes have wind chimes and some homes don't so the moment that marlene goes oh my god what is that awful noise and it's just a standard fucking wind chime that everybody's heard it's like an ambient sound (laughs) it's just a noise that we all know what it is it's a wind exactly and it also is worth noting that this is when you think of a wind chime and if you google wind chime this wind chime is the wind chime that comes up. It, it, there's Absolutely. nothing in any way distinct or of note about this wind chime. So it's all the no funnier way. when she's like, when she sees the photo and she sees the wind chime in the photo. And then she goes on this sort of Nancy Drew journey because it's like, oh my God, they have a wind chime and they have, and, and they have a wind chime too. They have a wind chime at their house <laughs> that she brought them. It's like, to me, it would be it like- It was the, the loosest thread. It would be the equivalent of being like, Oh my God, they have a birdhouse outside of their home. Mm-hmm. And they have a birdhouse outside of their home in this picture. That bitch lived at this birdhouse. She lived at the house <laughs> with the other birdhouse. Like, that's exactly. what it's the It is an item of note. And it's also a grainy, like, 1992, like, printout. Photocopied. So, so, and yeah. she sees this wind chime in, like, the background of this photo. And she's like, <laughs> I gotta get to the library. <laughs> It's like it like spurs her. She's like, oh my god, I have to go. And she goes to the library and is like, is combing through like microfiche, trying to find like old newspaper articles about Dr. Mott, so that she can spot a picture of Mrs. Mott, aka Peyton. But she does make the connection. But you wonder how, honestly, because my ass would not have been that fucking hawkeye when it came to those wind chimes but apparently she was and so marlene discovers on the on this microfiche that she's combing through the library that has set her off um the wind chimes that set her off to discover the truth which again is still very hard for me to grasp as the source of truth on this but whatever this i can't change the script of a movie that came out in 1992 um so i just have to accept it um and so marlene is like aggressively trying to call uh claire because she wants to tell her oh my god fucking mrs mott is in your house but claire won't pick up the phone not because she's like trying to avoid marlene but because like she's um i think she's out with the baby or something and so um she gets peyton on the phone and she's like peyton i need to talk to claire and she's like claire's not here but i'll let her know you call and she's like like hell you will and she hangs up she doesn't believe her she shows up at the house and she's like does the thing that in my mind I'm like please don't do this please don't do this please don't do this which she runs into Peyton and she's like where's Claire and she's like uh what are you talking about and she's like I know who you are Mrs. Motts and of course now she fucking puts herself in grave danger and uh, Peyton has somehow rigged the new 
greenhouse that Claire has been working on. So she tells her, oh, hey, um, just FYI, Claire's in the greenhouse. And she heads out to the greenhouse to go tell Claire what's going on. And instead of Claire being in the greenhouse, what happens is something is, I, I don't even know exactly what happens. Do you remember? It, it's a, it's a retractable roof greenhouse. So like right. there's a, so there's basically like a crank that you can crank that opens up the roof of the greenhouse and then it can be locked. But what she has done is she's cranked it to the point where it is completely open. But instead of locking it, she takes a nearby shovel and she sort of places the handle of the shovel. She she stuffs it into the crank. So when the door to the greenhouse opens, it is going to it, the door will hit the ed, will hit the um the shovel end um, of the shovel, the digging end of the shuttle. And when it does, then that retractable roof is going to slam closed. And when it slams closed, all of the glass that all the glass panes that comprise the roof of this greenhouse are going to shatter, sending shards of glass down into the main greenhouse. And so this was her plan actually for killing Claire. Um, the night before she decided enough is enough. This woman's she's too happy. She's thriving <laughs> and she's had enough time with my family. And, um, that her, her husband's, her husband's dick belongs to me now. Mm-hmm. And so she just blowing my back out. Exactly. My back, my back remains unblown. And mm-hmm. so she decides, like, I, I got a plan. And so she sets this in motion in, you know, preparation for, like... Cl- By the way, if I ever did this, like, for the purposes of, like, ending someone's life, I wouldn't be able to sleep the night before. Like, when is it going to happen? Like, I'd be, like, I'd be up constantly, like... <laughs> That's Ugh. why you wouldn't be able to sleep? Like, like it was Christmas morning? You fucking no, murderer? No, that's not what I... Hold on, that's not... No, I just meant the anxiety... You of, leave it. I want to leave it at that. Uh, I don't want I hate you to explain you. yourself. I hate you. Of course you don't. <laughs> I, what I meant was, like, just the anxiety of, like, not knowing if it was going to be the wrong person who entered or, like... Of course. Whatever. It's just all... It's of just, course. like, it's left to the... It's just left to, like, the, the you know, the chance, basically. Yes. Like, who's going to enter and who's going to... You know what I mean? All of those things. Especially, like, since she's, like, obsessed with having this baby. It's like, what if Claire goes outside holding, like, with a baby in a Bjorn or something? Like, it's just, like, you would never know how the... the, I don't mean, like, the giddiness of, like, knowing (laughs) that death is around the corner and, like, I may miss out... You made it sound like you were waiting for Santa. On hearing, like, the death rattle of a person. It's like, oh, I missed it. Fooey. Um, but yeah, so anyway, she this is this this one ended up having uh, Marlene's name all over it because although it I will say this shot, it doesn't look like it was like it would be enough to kill her. It looks I like- was confused because I was like she can't be dead. We're not killing her, but did. And the next and shot is her deceased. Yeah, it didn't seem like the glass had penetrated her as it was falling, it seemed- but you didn't. We didn't get a real clear shot. We also it, get so. the stunt person hunched over, doing what you should do in this situation, which is right. hunch over so that your back is what's exposed, but you're covering up like your vital, you know, your your face and like you know and the your other neck and, and your, your neck heart. and your stomach, yeah. like all of those areas are covered because you're sort of hunched over. And it felt like that would probably be an. I would imagine would be enough to maybe like give you a fighting chance, but not in this case. She's deceased. No, and. We've also, as we've been mentioned multiple times, there's been multiple asthma attacks, and like Claire arrives home um, from a busy day of greenhouse stuff um, with plants, <laughs> and when she opens the door to the greenhouse, um, she discovers Marlene's dead body, and it sends her into another like asthma attack. But 
our girl, Peyton, has thought ahead and planned for this. And so she's emptied out all of the medicine inside of all of her inhalers. So she's basically going around the house looking for inhalers to try and, like, you know, give herself, you know, quell her symptoms, basically, or the, the asthma, get under control, and she can't. And so we see her, what looks like, it almost looks like she dies. She's, like, on the porch yes. of the home. That's where she's crawling out to her purse, which was initially on her shoulder when she discovered the body, and she realizes that there is an that there is an inhaler in there, and she's crawling to it, and she succumbs to, like, her asthma on the front porch of the house, and it's just close and up her, of like, her laying on the ground. Her face is blue. Like, she her face looks is like blue, and she she is like it. it looks like she's like she takes her last breath um but our girl comes through you know barely but she does she, does. she spends some time in the hospital and when she comes home she sees that peyton has redone the nursery and she's like um yeah this house is horribly I, decorated i would have liked to have been asked and you know i get it michael's defending her he's like you know she did it for you she's trying to be nice and then we she's also suspicious. skipped something. Oh, what do we skip? We skipped the moment where Michael goes outside in the middle of the night in the rain and he attempts to like he's locking up the greenhouse where Marlene was killed and he's in the it's in the middle of the rain and then Peyton sees him from the window and she runs outside. And at this point uh, Claire is in the hospital trying to recover from her symptoms. Uh, by symptoms, I mean attempted murder attempt. And mm-hmm. she is in the hospital. So it's just the two of them, just two grown folks at home, needing mm-hmm. some, needing certain things. Two and grown, she, two grown folks in sheer pajamas at home. And she runs outside in her, um, in her in, thinnest in, negligee. In her thinnest negligee. Um, and she runs outside in her bell nighty. Basically, it's one of those <laughs> those bell style nighties. She runs outside. And she she's helping him, and they get inside the house, and she gives him a towel. She helps him take his shirt off, and she gives him a towel to sort of dry off. And she, like, she couldn't be any closer to him. Like, she is, like, there's nothing between them but opportunity. And, and staring just up at his face, like, she, waiting. Waiting on him to, to do what she needs him to do. And, like, mm-hmm. she is in her nightie, and there's nothing underneath. And it's clinging to her body, and she's waiting on... Michael to rise to the occasion, so to speak, and he says, "I, I only, I only, ha- only ha- have have eyes for there's one woman. A, there's only one woman for me. There's only one woman for me." And then she's like, "Oh," and then she walks off. And then Claire comes back the next day. Michael doesn't tell her about this incident. She Claire comes back the next day, and this is when she sort of discovers like the tor- the the turtle wallpaper on the the walls, and she's not loving it. But she's like, oh, "It's whatever. so ugly. It's like it's gingham ugly. turtle wallpaper." And this room also, by the way, this baby's nursery is like, it is so bland. There's nothing on the walls at all. So no, it's just it's like, except for like a strip of these weird turtles. Yeah, it's not the, and not choices that I would make it any. They didn't want us distracted by decor. Let's put it that they way. They didn't. No. Um, but she also, Claire also has this nagging feeling. She knows that like Marlene, she knows that Marlene was trying to reach her and it was an urgent message because she got that, but she didn't know what the message was. And something about it is just like, what could it have been? She goes to her office. She, talks to her secretary who had just gotten roasted by Marlene as she was walking out the door. Um, 
And she sees a stack of, like, you know, he says, I brought her these new listings, and then she darted out the door a minute later, and she sees the listing on top for Dr. Mott's property, and she decides to pay it a visit. And when she gets there, she walks into the nursery. As the realist, as the realtor is showing her the property, she goes into the nursery. She sees the same ugly blue, tur- blue turtle wallpaper on the walls, and she sees a breast pump sitting on the counter. I thought she was going to see a picture of Dr. and Mrs. Mott at the home. That's what I thought, too, and I thought, okay, so there's a couple of things I thought during this scene. I thought that, I was like, A, if there's, uh, if people are staging a property, they're not leaving family pictures up, particularly if they're not, the people are not living there anymore. So, like, that would be weird if they had a picture. So, I, it made sense that they didn't have that. But they show a breast pump. And she says to herself, she used it to keep her milk up. And I thought... (laughs) Again, that's another leap. This is a nursery. Like, it fucking makes sense for a breast pump to be in a nursery. I will say the turtles are the thing that would give me the greatest amount of pause, not the breast pump. But that's the, the turtles in the breast pump and the knowledge that she knows that this was the house that belonged to the deceased Dr. Mott. Like, those are the only things, though. And there's not even a moment where she says, you know, who was living here? And he says, oh, a a, a Mrs. Maud. Or, like, anything. There's no... So it's a lot to go home this hot. And to be Mm -hmm. like, I know. It's solved. Especially for a person who's been having a lot of trouble getting getting in front of anything this whole movie. Taking Um, a lot of big swings without any answers. And she shows up at the house. And she's got... She hasn't had a chance to cook. But she did make an old-fashioned knuckle sandwich for our girl Peyton. (laughs) And she decks her in the face as soon as she walks in the door. And her husband is just like... Like what, what? Why'd you do that, Claire? And then she goes, "This is this is the deceased Doctor Mott's widow," and he's like, oh. "He's like, you need to leave, Peyton." And it's just like the most polite. Like she's excused in the most polite manner. And hundred percent. And they send her on her merry way. She tries to go upstairs, and she says, "Oh, I'm just gonna go upstairs and get my baby. I mean, my luggage." And then they're like, "No." It'll be mailed to you. And she leaves out the front door. And then the most, and then Claire, being completely correct, says, we need to call the cops. And her husband says, she's gone. And it's he like, literally tells her, just calm down. We have her keys. And it's like, you don't understand. This woman infiltrated her life. You need to be more freaked out. And you need to be, you need to, you need to match Claire's energy. Also, there's a, somebody died. Your friend died on your property yesterday under very suspicious circumstances. Absolutely. And, and she's been impersonating, she's impersonated someone to gain admission into your home. Like, there's potentially like. There's fraud. more to this. There's a yeah. lot of, she's, what she did was egregious. And it's like, it's more than just simply a matter of you like sending her on her way and this now being a wacky story that you have to tell friends at dinner parties like no this needs to be dealt with like and also you just send her out into the world and she clearly was crazy enough to do what she did so there's no telling you're just gonna spend your life wondering every time you turn a corner whether or not like she's there you just sent her on her merry way it's like no exactly like at the very least you need a restraining order Uh, yeah and you also need this documented in case anything else happens and considering all of the weird suspicious stuff that's happened since she's been here it would stand to reason that like if something else occurs and you go to the police a year later it's gonna be like why didn't you come to us before she she moved into your house pretending to be a person who she wasn't and she took care of your children, and, <laughs> and you didn't you're say like, anything. I'm just, we're just gonna call it at that. Like my husband suggested that I calm down, and, and I took his <laughs> advice. Um, so, so all of this happens, and then in short order, she comes back to the house. Um, she never left the house. All she, she never did, left the house. She all did she did quick, was go into the basement and grab a shovel. 
Yeah, it's like me. It's like me when I was like, yeah, mom, I'm going to the dance. I got lots of friends. And then you like leave out of the front door and you go hang out in the back porch for a couple hours. Um, oh, Brandon, that's... So no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she like, she she runs around the back and she comes in through that side, through the, through the back door downstairs and she's like, I love my dungeon room. I can't leave. And, uh, and then she, Michael confronts her. She clubs him over the head with that same shovel that she used earlier. Um, that ended up being Marlene's undoing. And then she yeah. takes on, she ends up taking on Claire, who almost, almost bests her, but not quite. And then, of course, we have the ever faithful um, Solomon, who's been sort of watching the family, like, from a distance this entire time. Um, he shows up and he comes through. It's a weird scene where, like, she's gotten the baby and yeah. she's in the and Solomon gets the baby. He climbs through a window. He 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 he's holding the baby. He's, well, no, because Emma Emma the younger child she grabs the baby and hides in the closet. And she does. This is the thing that was I wrote like Emma wasn't smart enough to do this, but she does this thing where she takes the baby monitor and puts it in a it puts it in the closet so that um Peyton hears the baby crying and thinks that's where she is with the baby but instead Emma has gone to the basement and that's where Solomon is or sorry not the basement the attic so they're at the top and and Solomon is helping Emma and the baby like escape through the window um and then that's where we get Peyton and Claire get up to the attic with Solomon and the two kids and that's where the showdown goes happens and it's claire and it's it's the husband by the way his legs are no longer he says at one point my legs are broken (laughs) she hits him with a shovel and he falls over like the the side of the stairs onto the floor of the basement and he's like he he's unconscious and then he wakes up for a second and claire finds him and she's like oh my god and he's like claire my legs are broken (laughs) and i was like Okay, I don't know if they are, but like either way, Michael's like tapping out of yeah. the fight. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, he's like, let's let the girls work this one out because Michael cannot move. I guess, but... or he doesn't, or he's just tired. Oh, he's, he's like, done. It's, it's been drama. It's been drama for weeks. Like <laughs> for, since day one with this bitch, and I realize it's all her. So I just and I missed out. out on that. He's like, I missed out on that. Good, good on that crazy good good um <laughs> from her that night you were gone she was clinging and uh so it was a nightgown but he's just like i'm just gonna take a little nap till, till the police get here you go ahead and you do your thing mom of the year so she takes off upstairs solomon's holding the baby and then it's just like it's claire and peyton basically going back and forth they're like fighting and all i could think of is like why doesn't Solomon just like whoop this woman's ass real quick? Put down the baby and throw that woman well, by her hair out the window. Well, I saw, I saw the moment where like there was like a moment where like Claire looks at Solomon and he's holding the baby, <laughs> and I thought she was gonna be like kick her ass, like, <laughs> and she doesn't say anything, and it's like clearly like we're talking about like Ernie Hudson and Rebecca De Mornay, right. like mm-hmm. for context so it's like Ernie Hudson is like my size yeah so it's like he very easily <laughs> not that I know I don't hit women but no, he very not. easily could have just like <laughs> I think they probably were like oh that's not climactic enough to just have Ernie Hudson grab her by the collar of her LL Bean sweatshirt <laughs> and throw her out the window we want we need Claire to step up so they were like you just yeah. stand in the corner like holding the baby and watch Claire get her ass whooped for a little while and then you know, but and then Claire does eventually push her out. Of push the her out the window. Falls down as an Im- 
and is impaled by Solomon's fence that he built. So poetic. So Solomon is a part of why she dies in the end. Oh, um, circle. And uh, yeah, and the family. And as the is... only black man in this movie, I'm sure he'll be dragged to death by. I'm uh, dra- sorry, dragged to jail for her death. Well, when the police show up and they're starting to put the pieces together and then they're like, wait, so she was infiltrating your life. She pretended Mm -hmm. to be this person and then Solomon murdered Marlene? And then Claire's going to be like, that's the way it shook out for me. Yeah, that's That's, the the pieces. That's absolutely the story. Absolutely the story. That we came to that conclusion as well. He's a good person. He was protecting us, but you do what you have to do in terms of the law. He has... He has demons inside of him that we, as white people, we don't understand. We don't we come from that culture. Imagine we're from good families, and so mm-hmm. we tried to help him, but clearly, he was beyond he, helping. He was beyond helping. We we found evidence that maybe he exposed Peyton to urban music at some point. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're we're trying to put the pieces together. We saw and a slide in the family stone are. cassette tape in her room. <laughs> We have to assume that Solomon had something to do with that. The beat was the beat, the syncopated rhythms. It, we're thinking we're it's giving chair. It's giving yep. electric chair. So uh-huh. um, you do so what you do, have to again, do. We won't stand in your way at all to do what you have to do to bring bring whoever needs to be brought to justice to justice. Of course, because you've washed. never gotten it wrong. Exactly. So it's all handled very beautifully. I will say this movie, it ends very abruptly after this. It's so quick. Like, literally, she dies. Credits roll. <laughs> yeah, so we don't even get... You know, you normally get the, like, quick little two-minute, like, wrap-up at the end, but they were like, no, right. no, 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 Six months later, they're moved nope. into another house, happy, and, you know, the baby's walking or whatever. A new nanny nope. shows up at the door, and they, like, yeah. the nanny shows up, and she's like, hi, I'm looking for a nanny job, and I was wondering if you need anybody, and they're like, we're all full here. And then they look <laughs> at each other and, like, wink knowingly, and then the credits roll. We don't get that moment. We don't get that. It just simply ends. And so, that is the hand that rocks the cradle. The hand that rocks the cradle. Um, Brandon, you know, I got two questions for you. Spit them out. Go ahead. Say it okay. with your chest. Okay. I will say with my whole damn chest. Uh, okay. Number one, would you watch this movie again? Absolutely. Yeah. I thought I thought you would. It's like, 1990s. It. It's a thriller. It's pulpy. <laughs> of course yeah. I would. It's so good. Great. I'm so glad. Um, and then number two, do you have something for me to watch next week? I do. Um, I have a movie for you. I was waffling on it because this was a movie I'd already decided for you. And I was like, is this too much? Is this too much in conversation with this film? But I've thought about it and I think that it's different enough. Okay. Um, and it's a movie that I've been wanting to do on this show for a while. So I'm really excited about it. Oh my God. We are going to be going uh, taking a trip. We're staying in the nineties for a little bit longer, but we're going a couple years into the future. And we're going to watch 1994's Disclosure. I don't, I don't even, is that Glenn Close or something? Sure. <laughs> okay, so I know nothing about this movie. <laughs> You're going to love it. It's it's a good oh time. Oh my God. We're going to have a lot of fun. Wait. Yeah. Sounds it's great. Gonna, it's going to be really good. I'm really excited. Amazing. Well, thank you um brandon thank you listeners uh for taking this journey with us while we discuss the very iconic the hand that rocks the cradle we hope you guys had fun we had fun great time and we we love you and we want to stay in touch with you and 
some of the ways we can do that throughout the week is you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Movies We Miss, and we can have a little chat back and forth there if you want. Um, and we are so excited to be coming up to you next week with uh, 1994's Disclosure, of which I have no idea about. But um, we shall see you then. Love you. Bye. Get the camera. I've got 60 hours of television at least.